Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Man, I'm so thankful that you've joined us today, and we've said it a couple of different times, a couple of different ways, but uh, welcome to those that are in person, and welcome to those of you that are watching online. I'm just glad to be able to be back together. I, I appreciate your willingness to pivot with us last week. We moved back online for one week because of the large numbers of people within our church that were battling COVID or had become symptomatic, and it's not an easy decision to make because I, my preference is to be together in person. And so when we have to make a decision like that, obviously that's a tough decision, but I appreciate you doing that. Last week was probably, if not the largest, one of our largest online attendance uh, that we've had ever in the history of our church, which is, you know, it spans a long time. The, the history of our church now is nine years this week. Uh, we started a January the 8th, 2012. So Friday was nine years ago, but we've only been streaming uh, a little over nine months. And so to say it's the largest stream in the history of our church doesn't go nine years. It just goes back about nine months. But I am thankful that when we can't be together in person, uh, many of you jump online and those when you can't be in person, whether we're meeting or not, that you do join us online. So welcome to you today as well. And let me just say this uh, quickly about that. Uh, Obviously, I know that there are people that are still wrestling with illness in a lot of different ways, or they're high risk, or they care for someone uh, in their home that's high risk. And so that's really the reason that we offer our online campus. It's the reason that we offer the stream and we try to connect to people outside of the in-person gatherings. But let me just say, and I know this is probably preaching to the choir because many of you are in the room, and then some of you that are watching online, you're so faithful to do that. So maybe if you're watching online today, and you don't normally do that, or you're listening back on podcasts or watching on our YouTube channel at some point, if you don't have a reason not to be in church with us, I encourage you to be in church with us. The latest statistics this last week say that the American church, the average church is currently running about 36% of its pre-COVID attendance numbers. Our church is tracking a little bit ahead of that, but obviously uh, on any given week, we're missing a lot of you. And some of you, again, you have a very viable reason not to be here in person based on your health or the health of someone that you care for. But if you don't have a reason not to be here, we want to be in person and worship with you because honestly, there's just nothing like being together in the presence of God and it encourages us, it encourages me, and I believe that it will encourage you. And I, I really do believe, honestly, that so much of what we're facing right now uh, is because we have neglected the gathering and assembling of ourselves together. And so I encourage you, if you don't have a viable reason, don't just get out of the habit. I had somebody tell me a couple weeks ago, we were talking about them coming back to church and they said, I just, I'm really worried. I'm kind of anxious about coming back to church because I feel like the church is mad at us because we've just kind of skipped out a little while and, and we've just kind of gotten out of the habit. I said, listen, we're not mad at you. We just miss you. So get back in church if you can. We'd love to see you. And let me just say this as, a, as it relates to online. This last week, I talked about 21 days of prayer just a few minutes ago. This last week, we were online uh, each morning at 6 a.m. and just a great time together in prayer. We're going to continue online this week, Monday through Friday. And so I encourage you to join us on g.church slash live each morning at 6 a.m. or on our YouTube channel as it replays throughout the day. But we will gather in person this coming Wednesday night at seven o'clock 
for a, a time of worship and prayer and teaching, and we're gonna take communion together. So I encourage you to be with us in person if you can, Wednesday night, seven o'clock. Uh, those that are under kindergarten, so preschool age and down, will be upstairs in our kids' area. We are asking you to RSVP for that just to make sure we've got enough uh, volunteers to serve in that area. Everybody from kindergarten and up will meet with us. It'll be about an hour service, uh, but uh, seven o'clock Wednesday night. And if you can't be with us in person, you already know there's a reason that you can't be here, and you're gonna join us online. I encourage you to go ahead and prepare to participate in communion that night. It's gonna be a really special special, special time. Uh, and a couple things you heard about from Pastor Trevor, baptism's coming up in two weeks. That's always a special time. So we want you to celebrate with you. So be ready for that. And then the other thing that you didn't hear from him that I just want to put on your radar is that G group signups are coming uh, throughout the rest of this month. You'll hear more about that in the week ahead. Uh, and then that's coming as they launch the first week of February. We believe that life together is better. And uh, I think, again, just what I said a few minutes ago, I think we're craving community in different ways. So I encourage you to be with us in G groups. The signups will start over the next week or two. Uh, last week, we started a brand new series called Revival. And I, I mentioned to you at the beginning of that message that I remember the revival services of my youth. I grew up in the church and so I was in church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, and anytime there was a revival, uh, that usually started on Sunday night and ran through that week. So sometimes it was Sunday night to Wednesday night, sometimes it was Sunday night and all week long. Sometimes it would be really powerful services, and they'd bring in a speaker, and, and, and the, the presence of God was very real, and, and uh, the old timers would call it, it was thick in the room, you know, and so it would extend beyond that week, maybe into a second week, or maybe into a third week, and man, it was really special times. I remember the first time as a young minister that I was invited to preach at a revival service. I had all of these thoughts in my head about what a revival preacher was supposed to sound like. And, and I preached even in the, the younger days of ministry, I preached a lot like I'm preaching right now, where it's, it feels a little more conversational. And, and it was talking about most of the revival services I had been in, the preacher sounded like this. And like as he would preach, like it sounded like he had something caught in his throat. And so I felt the need to kind of add that, you know, kind of in my voice as I was beginning to preach. And, and it was amazing that as I started to sound like that, how much faster I preached. And so I don't remember if I had 30 minutes, if they had told me I had 30 minutes to preach that night, but I was preaching so fast, even as I sounded like I had something caught in my throat, that when I got done and I started praying, I looked at the clock and I'd been preaching for nine and a half minutes. And I thought, well, man, I got to fill some time. I prayed the longest prayer I'd ever prayed in my whole life. The only other time I'd ever prayed longer was when I was in school at the start of class and they would ask for prayer requests. And I thought if we extend the prayer time, it shortens the instruction time. And so I prayed really long prayers during that season of time too. But I, I remember those revival services and I remember that it was, it was really a time that our church family was trying to consecrate ourselves and really pull away from the rhythms of of life and the things that were going on and really try to focus our heart and our attention on the presence of God and, and the empowerment of God into our hearts and lives. And, and last week, what we said about revival as we were defining even the word revival, we defined it as an improvement in the condition or the strength of something. You hear people's uh, careers being revived. You hear things that are needing a revival in a sense. And so when we talk about that, I, I think this definition fits. It's an improvement or strengthening of, of the condition of our souls and our hearts. And, and I think we need a revival in our nation. We need a revival in our church. I need a revival in my life and perhaps you do as well. And so I'm so thankful that during these 21 days of prayer and fasting, we're also in the midst of this sermon series on revival. We're asking God to improve 
improve the condition and the strength of our hearts. And so really, as I, as I thought about what revival looks like, and I thought about even the context that I had of revival as I was growing up, I recognized that so much about the, the thought of revival can be a little bit self-serving. It can be a little bit self-focused, or it can be very, very general. And here's what I mean. We pray for revival in our hearts. We pray for revival in our lives, or we pray for revival in our world. We pray for revival in our nation. And so it can be very personal and very self-focused, or it can be very general and not focused individually at all. And when I read through scripture, what I actually find is that revival is very personal but it's also very impactful to the people around us. And as I read through these these various stories of the Gospels specifically, I see that the encounters that Jesus had impacted that individual, but almost every single time that there was an improvement of their condition, a strengthening of their soul or their life in some way, that they went with what they had experienced and they proclaimed that to the people around them. And so when you, when you see the, the woman at the well, she goes running after her encounter with Jesus Christ back into her town, and she says, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. When you see the man who was healed as Jesus spit in the mud and, 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 and healed his blindness, he goes and proclaims what God had done through the power of Jesus Christ. When, when you see the, the other miraculous works of God and the reviving of people's souls and the restoring of their lives and the improvement of their conditions, every single time, it seems, they run from that moment and they proclaim it to as many people as they possibly can. And I believe if we see all of the various revivals throughout history, whether it be American history or world history, it's not just a feel-good event, Now, there's nothing wrong with feeling good. Scripture tells us in at least two places that I can find that we are to taste and see that the Lord is good. Like there is a personal experience where we experience personally that God is good. And when we do, there is a revelation of God's presence and his power in us. And that's powerful. But if we taste and see that the Lord is good and we never share that the Lord is good, I think it's it's incomplete, That the sense of revival that we have, if it only impacts us, it's actually just personal renewal. A true revival impacts those around us. And as I'm praying for revival right now and starting with me and starting with you, our church family, and moving into our local community and moving into our nation and moving into our world, I'm praying that that revival impacts the lives of people around us. And it's not just a feel-good moment, but it's an improvement of their current condition and it's a strengthening of their soul and a strengthening of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I want to go today to two passages of Scripture in the book of Acts. So if you've got a Bible or you've got an app, I'd love for you to follow along with me today. We're going to start in Acts chapter 2, very famous chapter of Scripture. This is the, the day of Pentecost. This is the Pentecostal experience where the presence of God through the Holy Spirit falls on the people of God that are waiting there to experience His presence. And in Acts chapter 2, as we come to this, this moment in history, they are waiting there because they just don't know what to do next. Jesus has ascended back to the Father, and he's told them to go to this place, go to the upper room there, and to wait, to tarry there until he sends this gift of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is they wait there. There's about 120 people in the upper room And as they're waiting there for the presence of God and the power of God to be demonstrated, they don't fully know what they're waiting on. They're just waiting on the promise of God to come to them. 
And then scripture tells us there in Acts chapter two that the spirit of God, it descends upon them like cloven tongues or split tongues of fire. And it comes upon them and, and the power of God on their lives causes it to spill out into the streets And as it spills out into the streets where these 120 come out into the streets of Jerusalem at that time, it says that Jewish people from every known nation of the world, speaking every known language of the world, they are there in the city for a festival at that time. And so these people that are empowered by the Spirit of God, they come spilling out of the upper room and they are proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in every known language of the world at that time. And so the gospel is going forth. The gospel spreads rapidly because all of these people hear the good news of the gospel, and then they take the good news of the gospel back to their language, their nation. And this is what we read in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37. This is Peter speaking on the day of Pentecost as he comes out of the upper room. So just imagine him at the bottom of this two-story building, and he's walking out in the streets, and people are speaking in tongues, speaking in these known languages that they have, un- they have not learned, and they're proclaiming the gospel, and people begin to ask a question, and this is what they says. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So many things in that passage of scripture, but what I love is that because I grew up in the church and because I grew up in the Pentecostal church, we reference this passage of scripture a lot. And when this passage of scripture was referenced, it was very focused on the outpouring of the spirit of God, which I believe in. And we're going to talk a little later this spring about the Holy Spirit and about the gifts of the spirit, but it it was often referenced in relation to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the gifts of the spirit and speaking in tongues and what that looked like in this context. But what I love about this is if this is one of those revival settings where God's presence is poured out on his people and there's a supernatural meeting the natural kind of moment that a major focus of this is the church in community. They were gathered together and you can call them what you want to call them, but they were G groups. They were in homes, meeting together, eating together. They were fellowshipping with one another. They were helping to meet the needs of other people. They were giving in their community. And then what we see is that a huge part of the context of this story is an explosion of salvations, an explosion of people who were far from God finding life through Jesus Christ. I believe that revival must include repentance. Revival must include repentance. If it's just a feel-good experience, 
If it's just an outpouring of God so that the inside of me feels good, I think it falls short of the fullness of what God desires through revival. An outpouring should have some kind of outward response and result in the lives of people around us who are experiencing the presence and power of God. And so if revival comes to my life and it stays in my life, it falls short of impacting the lives that God has placed me to cross their path. I don't think it's by accident that you're in relationship with the people that you're in relationship with. I don't think it's by chance or happenstance that you are doing life in the ways that you're doing life, in the community that you're doing life, in the job that you're doing life. I believe that God has a plan and I believe that God does turn bad things to good and he takes those moments that seem irredeemable and he redeems them for his purposes. And I believe that one of the ways that he does that is through revival moments where the inside of our lives are impacted by the presence of God and it comes out of us for the sake of those who are far from him. Revival must include repentance. It must include connecting to people who need to know Jesus. And so Peter, in this incredible moment, he comes out of this experience, this personal experience. Can you, can you put yourself in that place and, and think about what Peter and the disciples must have experienced? Man, the, the power of God, they had not experienced it like this but until right here in this moment. Then up to this point, it had always been Jesus in the flesh right in front of them. And now it's the spirit of God inside of them. And this is the promise that Jesus extended to them. He says, it's actually better that I leave you so that the comforter can come, so that he can come and remind you of all that I've taught you, but also to teach you in the ways of God. They experience this amazing outpouring of God And then the first thing that Peter does when he walks out, the same guy that was so afraid to to be connected to Jesus and the ministry of Jesus that he denied him three times just about 50 days before this, he walks out full of confidence and boldness under the power of God and he proclaims the good news of the gospel to those who need to hear it most. He walks out and proclaims that people need to repent and be saved because they are far from God. If I'm being honest with you, and I don't say this with any ounce of pride at all, over the last few weeks and months, I have become so burdened for lost people. I think it still falls short of what it needs to be, but I'm telling you, like, my wife laughs at me because I will walk into stores and just try to engage people, not just like nice. I'm talking like engage them because there's a sense in my heart that if they need Jesus, I have the answer. If they're hurting, I know how to help them, not because of me, but because of what I know God can do in their lives because of what God has done in my life. And I walk into restaurants and I try to engage waiters and waitresses and people that are serving at the cash register and just try to engage people the best. I've become so burdened for people that are far from God. It's one of the reasons that in this season that I've decided to stay on social media. I've got a number of friends who are getting off of social media, and I respect that decision. I have no problem with that decision for them. But for me, social media is primarily a way to connect to people that I know. But secondarily, it's a mission field. It's a way to engage people who I don't know very well. And so for me, when I start talking about being on Facebook, 
Our church streams on Facebook and connects to people that we've never met because it's shared by other people who attend our church or connected to our church and so on. It's a mission field. And man, I know there's some, there's some rough things that are happening right now in the climate of our world. And I know that there's a lot of things that are happening on all these different platforms. I recognize that. I'm not trying to skirt around that issue. I'm just saying like, to me, it's a mission field. And if I am called by God to take the gospel into the places of the earth where the gospel needs to go to engage people that need the gospel, then I want to plant myself right in the middle of a place where people need to know him. It would be like if I said, hey, I'm, I'm called to Zimbabwe, right? I don't feel that call right now, but if God were to ever do that, I'd, I'd have to make sure that I really heard from God, you know? But if I said, hey, I feel like the Lord's calling me to Zimbabwe, I think Corey would go with me. I don't know if the kids would, but I think Corey would go with me, right? And what if I got to Zimbabwe and I planted myself right in the middle of the town there in some city in Zimbabwe? Couldn't tell you the name of a city in Zimbabwe right now, right? This, this illustration falls short. But I go and plant myself in the middle of some city in Zimbabwe and I find out that it's really tough and that most of the people there disagree with me and most of the people there don't believe what I believe. And most of the people hold viewpoints that are completely contrary to the viewpoints that I have in life. And it would be like in that moment, me going, you know what, this is too hard. I think I'm just going to pack up and go home. I'm just going to take the Bible and go back to my living room and read it for myself and just hang out at my house. No, I believe we've been called to go into the places of the earth where people are far from God and engage them with the truths of God's word. And to take those hard conversations and through the grace of God with gentleness and respect to speak the truth in love. And as Paul did in Acts chapter 17, when he walks into a place that are worshiping idols, he finds some common ground to engage them with the gospel. And he says, hey, you see that idol right there that says to the God that is unknown? I'm here to tell you about that guy. Well, that's not what they intended when they put that idol up, but he found some way to connect the gospel to where they were. And I believe that's what God's called us to. And it's why I'm staying in this season on social media. I'm not saying I'd stay there forever, but if there's some other platform at some point that I can use to expose people to the goodness of God, I'll find it and I'll chase it down. But I don't even have to go online to do that. I can just walk into a grocery store and walk into a restaurant and walk down the halls of the schools where my children go to school and I can walk down the sidewalk of my neighborhood and pray, God, would you use me today to present the gospel to those who are searching for you and searching for your presence? God, would you do revival in me and let it spill out of me to connect them to those that need to know you? I believe that's what God has called us but it's not just people that look like us and it's not just people that act like us. It's also people that are completely different from us. Look at Acts chapter 10 quickly. This is another one of the places where the power of the Holy Spirit falls here in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 10, this is, this is Peter again. And he has just had a vision. And in this vision, God is speaking to him about things that are unclean. Peter, as a Jew, would have had very strict understandings of what he should eat and what he should not eat and who he should interact with and who he should not interact with. And Acts chapter 10 is the place in the book of Acts where we see that the gospel and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is beginning now to be available to Gentiles who were those that were different from Jews. And it, it really culminates in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem council where they actually have to kind of fight about what they believe about those who are different than them accepting the gospel because they don't keep the same rules that we keep. 
And so the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 is this incredible story of what does it actually take to be saved? Do you have to keep all the laws or is it enough just to believe in Jesus? But in Acts chapter 10, through this vision that Peter experiences, this is where it starts. This burden for the lost, this burden for the Gentiles. And there is a man named Cornelius who is a believer. And so he sends, God kind of lays it on his heart and he sends some servants to go and get Peter and Peter comes to Cornelius' house. And what I love about this passage, I was, I was reading it in, in the office just a few minutes ago. What I love about this passage is that Cornelius knew that when Peter got there, the gospel was going to be presented. And so it says in verse 24, this is not on the screen yet. It says, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together all of his relatives and close friends. He invited them to come to church. And this is what we read now in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, he was proclaiming, he was preaching to this group of people that Cornelius had invited to his house. This is what it says. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, those that were uncircumcised, those that did not keep the law. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So if we're to try to understand what's happening here, Peter sees a vision from God that the gospel is for people that look different than him, that believe different than him, that act differently than he does, that are completely have a different context for living than anything he's been taught in his whole life. The gospel is for them too. And at the same time, Cornelius is having a vision that he should go and send some people to get Peter and they bring Peter to his house. But Cornelius knows when he gets here, he's gonna preach the gospel. And my friends and my relatives that need to know Jesus, they're going to experience him. And so he invites them to come to church. He invites them to come to his G group. And they show up at his house. I don't know how he bribed them to get there, right? You can say, hey, why don't you come eat lunch with me on Sunday? And they're like, okay, that'll be great. What time do we want to meet? Why don't you just meet me at my church first and then we'll go to lunch? I mean, whatever you got to do to get them here, right? It's like, hey, come to my house on Thursday nights. We eat Mexican food and it's awesome. And, you know, we'll do a little Bible study. Whatever you got to do to compel them to get there. That's what Cornelius does. He's like, hey, come to my house. And they show up and all of a sudden there's this guy named Peter. And Peter shows up and he begins to present the gospel to them. And as he presents the gospel to them, the power of the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And the Jews that are with Peter are like, whoa, I didn't think people like that could be saved. I didn't think people like that could experience the presence of God. I thought that was only for people like us. And Peter's like, what? How can you observe what's taking place in their lives and think that the gospel is not for every single person on the face of the earth, and they've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's baptize them to indicate that they have been saved through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. True revival is desiring salvation for those who are completely different than me and you. It's not wanting them to agree with you. It's wanting them to encounter the same Savior that you have. So revival is asking God to save the lost and to use you, use me, if at all possible, to present the gospel to them. It's to be burdened for the eternity of everyone that I know. I'm so burdened right now for how consumed we've become with things that don't matter for eternity. 
And so here are some questions that I have been asking myself over the last 72 hours. And maybe today they connect to you. These are some filtering revival questions. Maybe you jot these down in the margins of your Bible or type these out in your phone to pray over these during this week of our 21 days of prayer. Some filtering revival questions. Am I more concerned with how someone voted or where they will spend eternity? Am I more concerned with the color of their skin or the forgiveness of their sins? Am I more concerned with whether someone covers their face or not with a mask or whether they know that their sins can be covered by the blood of the Lamb? Some filtering revival questions. Until I can say, until you can say that we are burdened for the souls of those around us, we still need revival. presence and his power in my life for the sake of those around me, here's a great question. Here's a great question, right? This was something that I put on my New Year's resolution list, and I asked God to help me with at the beginning of 2020, and I asked him to help me with it at the beginning of 2019, and I've asked him now to help me with it at the beginning of 2021. Here's the question. Who is the last person who came to know Jesus because of you? Who is the last person that came to know Jesus because of you, because of me? I've prayed, God, off of this stage, help me lead people into a growing relationship with you. Not just when I strap a mic on and I start talking, not just when they turn the camera on, not just when you show up on Sunday morning. Who is the last person that I led into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ in our community, in my neighborhood, on our ball team? Right? Who is the last person that you exposed to the gospel, connected to Jesus, led to the Lord, invited to church like Cornelius did? And I'm not saying, here's the deal, I'm not saying that you become the person that just walks into every restaurant and is like, hey, y'all, we meet 9, 15, and 11 on Sunday. See you there. And then walk out. Don't do that. I'm not necessarily saying you got to go stand on the street corner with a bullhorn If that's what God's calling you to, you go ahead and do it. That's fine, right? That's not necessarily what I'm saying. I'm just saying, maybe not every person that you know, but who's the last person that you know? That you led to the Lord. That you invited to experience the presence and power of God in a setting like this, or like your G group, or some other Bible study, or some other event that you could invite them to where you knew that the gospel would be presented. Who's the last person? And if you wanna know my thoughts on this, here's what I believe. I believe that true revival is happening when many of us can answer that question with a name in the last few days and weeks. That's when revival's taking place. When revival is accompanied by repentance from those who are far from God. And we are helping through the power of God to lead people toward him because they're far from him. And we say, hey, I know how to get close to him. You just acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a savior and you repent so that you can be baptized and you can go public with your faith to say, here's the private work that God has done in my heart and I wanna go public with it. True revival's taking place when many of us 
can give a name in a short period of time to say this is taking place right now through me, through the power of God. There's this amazing scripture in a totally different context in Isaiah chapter six, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. There's a great worship song that's written out of the words of Isaiah chapter six. It's one of my favorites. It plays on my Spotify list when I'm writing sermons. But in Isaiah chapter six, verse eight, there's this question that seems rhetorical from God. And it says, who will I send? Who shall I send? And there's this amazing answer in return. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. I think that should be our posture all the time if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Just saying yes without even knowing the question. Just saying, okay, Zimbabwe, okay, I mean, I'll, oh, all right, I'll, I don't know the name of a single city in Zimbabwe. I just tried to think of one. I'll go. Okay, not Zimbabwe? Okay, Facebook, I'll go. Okay, okay no, not Facebook, okay, all right. My job, yeah, God, I'll go right now. I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll be the embodiment of Jesus Christ and the recipient of grace that freely gives grace and, and I'll give love because I've received the love of God and they'll know that I'm your disciple by the way that I love other people. Okay, God, I'll go. Here I am, Lord, send me. Uh, the, okay, the, the ball, okay, the ball team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here I am, Lord. Send me. My neighborhood, I don't even like my neighbors. They leave their trash cans out for like 11 days. Their Christmas decor is up till Valentine's Day. I don't even like them. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I, I don't even know the question, but here's my answer. I want revival. I want revival in my heart and I want the revival in my heart to spill into the hearts of those around me. I want revival to lead to repentance because there's still lost people. There's still people that are far from you, God. And so as your spirit is poured out upon us, as our lives are improved, as our lives encounter the fullness of who you are, God, would you help us to take that, not just for ourselves, not just to hold it inside, but to take it and give it away. God, help me to be like Peter, to walk out of moments like this, so full of the power and the presence of God that I can't help but to proclaim the gospel, the good news of the gospel that everyone should repent and be baptized. So wherever you go to lunch today, it's the mission field. Whatever you do this afternoon, you go to the park, you clean your yard, you help your neighbor take up their trash can or you offer to help them take their Christmas lights off their house finally. It's the mission field. Wherever you go this week, it's the mission field. Revival leads to repentance. Who shall I send? Lord, here I am. Send me. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. 
Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.